Hello and welcome to Hazel Talks, the podcast brought to you by Hazel Brown Creative. This is episode two with Philippine Nguyen, who is co-founder of Art Night, which began in 2015 and is a non-profit contemporary art organisation and festival. Um, she's one of the directors there and leads on fundraising and partnership building, management and finance and overseas production and communications. Her previous positions have included working at the French National Assembly and media companies such as Canal Plus. As well as Art Night, she works as a consultant to deliver the Mayor's Creative Enterprise Zone programme in Tottenham in North London where she lives. Philippine teaches a course at Sciences Po University in Paris titled Culture in Global Cities. So excited to be bringing you episode two of Hazel Talks. Um, in this episode, we discuss Art Night. Uh, we talk a little bit about the pandemic and the impact it's had on creatives and local businesses. Um, we, of course, mention a project that we both worked on called Made by Tottenham, which was part of the Mayor of London's Creative Enterprise Zone programme, which is an online business directory. Uh, we chat a little bit about Brexit, uh, culture and a bit about cities. And as well as all this, we of course talk about storytelling, which is exactly what Hazel Brown Creative is all about and what this podcast is all about. Um, and we specifically focus on how artists tell stories and also how you can apply these, this approach and these ideas to your own business. So Philippine, can you tell me a bit about Art Night and how it came about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, thanks so much, Hazel, uh, for uh, having this conversation with me today. So Art Night is now uh, one of London's, <clears throat> sorry, largest contemporary arts festivals. And how it started, it was quite a long journey. And it started in 2015. Uh, basically, I was having a conversation with um, who would become uh, my co-founder at Art Night, Xenia. Uh, we were friends together at university. And I was uh, working in Paris uh, as a kind of consultant in political communications and I was working on local political campaigns and I enjoyed it but it didn't really strike me as my dream job and at the same time she had moved to London and she was also working for a kind of consultancy which was also not her dream job and we were discussing about what we wanted to do and things that we enjoyed and we got to talk about a festival from Paris called Nuit Blanche. And she worked on that festival uh, for the mayor of Paris. Uh, it was in 2011. And we realized that a festival like this, which is um, really aims to widen audiences for contemporary arts, uh, which is completely free, takes over uh, the city, unusual spaces, public spaces, and takes place at night. Um, it started in Paris 15 years ago. It exists in 30 cities around the world, but it had never been done in London. And it felt quite, um, quite strange and actually that London was really the right place to do something like this because you have the right uh, creative scene, uh, you have amazing uh, diversity of creativity and, and arts and, and artists and uh, audiences that are really keen to do things like this. So we started working on it, uh, developing the idea, trying to meet people and obviously it was quite a challenge because we were both uh, not from London and also we were not working from uh, we we're not working in the art world before the main person who kind of believed in the concept was uh, the former director of the Institute of Contemporary Arts in London Gregor Muir who's now at Tate 
and he thought that that's, that was something that he wanted to to do and to host uh, and to kind of help us uh, curate and program. Uh, especially if you if you're if you're in London, if you've been to the ICA um, before, it's it's a great contemporary art museum, but it's really tiny. And they were really keen to do something that would be would enable them to go outside of their um, of their building and out onto the streets of London. So it kind of started with them back in 2015, thinking about the idea. The first art night happened in 2016, and we've been doing one uh, every year ever since, except in 2020, of course, because of the global pandemic, we had to cancel uh, our fifth edition. But it has been postponed uh, to 2021 now. Mm-mm. Yeah, we'll definitely um, come on to that a bit later. Um, so how was it like not knowing a city and not having an art background? Like, how did you find setting up Art Night and w- what were the challenges? I think at first you do need to believe in yourself because if you don't, um, if you don't necessarily come from a place and if it's not necessarily a sector you're familiar with, you, you have to think that... Uh, what you're doing is uh, is worth it because at the, at the beginning you're like complete um, kind of complete strangers and also you need to get out there and what's really been what's been really really good in London is that people have been really open-minded and we met one person who thought oh that's a really great concept and then they gave us some names and some emails of other people we should speak to and then actually even if you and I think that's a useful tip for anyone who would like to maybe change career work in another sector Obviously, it can feel quite daunting if you don't necessarily know people, but actually, if you go to, I don't know, a networking event or an opening or something, you meet one person that will introduce you to three people who then in turn will introduce you to three more people and kind of snowballs actually quite quickly. So it feels like in even just six months, we were able to meet so many people. For us, it was a, um, a really big plus not to necessarily come from a, an art background or coming from an art school, because in a way, we what we studied in university was a bit like broader in terms of like um, some political science and some economics and stuff like this. And actually when you set up a nonprofit, what you need to know is not necessarily, you know, uh, artists or the art world, but understanding how to make your kind of business case for your charity, how to do fundraising, um, how to think about, you know, pitching to potential partners. So that was actually really helpful for us. Mm-mm. And can you sort of run me through, like, if someone was to visit, say, perhaps, like, the previous art night that you ran, what could they expect from, from a typical evening? It's so varied, and I think that's what's really exciting about art nights. Um, so every year, art night uh, takes place in a different part of London. Um, it's always early summer, usually around midsummer. And uh, often we have, you know, 75,000, 80,000 people uh, coming to an art night. And it's across kind of multiple sites. So it's kind of an art trail and you discover different buildings and different venues with really incredible, uh, often quite, um, quite engaging art, which is uh, something that you wouldn't necessarily experience in a white wall, like, you know, white box kind of gallery or um, museum. The last art night um, in 2019, uh, which was curated by Helen Nisbet, uh, who's our current uh, artistic director, uh, it was part of the London Borough of Culture program uh, in Waltham Forest. So we focused most of the program in Walthamstow and there was another hub of art night in King's Cross because obviously both King's Cross and, and Walthamstow are very con- well connected on um, the Victoria Line so it was really easy to visit both. 
But for example, when you were in Walthamstow, you were able to experience a um, kind of a, a parade on Walthamstow High Street with music. There was uh, a big kind of like performance with a massive video on Walthamstow Town Square. Then next door, there was uh, a Walthamstow Library where there was a um, film installation and performance which took place all the way until three in the morning which was really exciting. One of the audience's favorite favorite projects uh, was by an artist named Joe Nami and it took place uh, on a rooftop car park and basically he invited lots of uh, musicians and artists to perform. He even invited young people from Leighton Six from College to also perform that night. And basically they were all performing music through the sound system of souped up cars, which had been parked on top of the car park. It was like really, really incredible. And, and really, um, it was a really, really amazing project. We also had a kind of cabaret night in a working men's club uh, by uh, an artist uh, who was one of the uh, nominated artists for the Turner Prize in 2019. So often, Venues can be anything from, um, we've used Masonic Temple, we've used a disused tube platform, uh, we've used construction sites, and projects have been as varied as using virtual reality, for example, like in experiencing artworks with headsets, um, projects that have to do with contemporary dance and performance, projects that are like build, big billboard or physical installations, uh, projects that have lights, so it's very, very diverse. The pandemic caused Art Night to be postponed this year. How do you think that's had an impact on creatives and artists that were supposed to be involved? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, obviously the pandemic has had such a, such a deep impact on um, the arts and culture sector, but the wider creative sector as well. Uh, it has impacted people in very many ways um, at every kind of like level of the arts and culture sector. Obviously, it's a sector that I think it was um, the Creative Industries Federation that was saying that I think in London, people working in the creative industries, it's 60% self-employed people. So obviously, um, not always a lot of job security and running something like Art Night, obviously we are a very seasonal, seasonal uh, event, seasonal festival. If we have one edition that is canceled in, in June, um, obviously it has an impact on the people that we usually employ and pay to deliver something like Art Night. So we got some funding, uh, emergency funding from the Arts Council. So we were able to support uh, some of the artists and core team uh, in terms of fees. But generally, every art night, we have 300 people who get paid work in a way or another. Obviously, art night didn't happen. So none of those people got that gig that sometimes, you know, like the, you book in advance. And obviously, it's the same in a much, much um, bigger scale in terms of like music festivals. I know people who are you know, stage managers or who work on that particular seasonal festival kind of um you know, summer moments where often you get, uh, you know, 60 or 70% of your yearly income through like the three months of the summer. So obviously when this kind of like falls through, uh, it's really challenging. Uh, and I know of, of course, lots of artists and creatives who uh, were able to get some funding um, either via the Arts Council, uh, other sources of uh, funding, but also 
um, the self-employed uh, grant scheme, but lots of people also fell through the gaps and missed out on what was on offer. So it, it's been a really challenging time. Um, we're quite lucky at Art Night that we are quite a nimble, small organization and we don't have a big venue. Because um, obviously some of the big players with very, very uh, big and expensive uh, buildings like South Bank Center are making 60% of their staff redundant. So it's obviously very, very boring at the moment. And I know that the government announced this 1.5 billion for arts and culture in um, August, I think it was. Uh, we applied for it um, for the part that was administered by the Arts Council. We got some funding, so that was really brilliant. I know lots of other organizations who got some funding, but often it's kind of like not enough. And it's quite worrying to, to see that there's a lot of um, people and organizations that just are not gonna survive this, this time. Yeah, it's definitely um, the pandemic's had a huge impact on uh, many, many businesses, especially particularly the live music scene and event scene. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things can develop. How do we start to, or how do people start to reopen events and enable people to visit them in a safe manner? Next year, what we are uh, trying to do is, um, and it's a bit of, it's, it's a bit unfortunate in a way because uh, one of the things that make ArtNet special is that it's free and it's not ticketed, which means that if you are not an art goer and you're just a passer, passersby and you've just stumbled upon an ArtNet project, you can attend it. And it makes it really, really kind of accessible. But obviously next year, all of the projects will be uh, ticketed, uh, obviously with free tickets. And we're trying as much as possible to have projects that are either outdoors that you can see at different times and if they're indoors really thinking about um, the safety of everyone capacity so what we think is that we're going to have more projects in more parts of the country but they will all be a lot smaller mm -mm. yeah that makes sense but at least you you have a kind of plan and you can definitely bring it back next year and and, and work with what what's there yeah no exactly we have a we have a plan and we are trying to be as cautious as we can be. So we're discussing with the artists to make sure that there is a potential digital element that we can still um, show uh, audiences online. And obviously, I think, obviously, again, in terms of accessibility, um, digital interventions and like digital artworks online is not necessarily the most um i mean it can work well and we've tried trialed it uh before and we had people experiencing art night which uh were not even in in the uk so in terms of like reaching out to other audiences it's great but it's ten it tends to be people who are very engaged with arts and culture who make the effort who first have the right digital tools to access the work but also make the effort to experience arts on their computer especially we do already enough things online with all you know zoom meetings and like you know digital drinks and, and the rest of it that sometimes people don't want to continue to do this in terms of experiencing arts but we'll think really carefully in terms of having a digital element for each project in case there are further restrictions in june july i mean obviously we can't predict the future and the current circumstances show that you know things would probably get a little bit better but i think we need to be quite careful and prepared in case it takes a bit longer to get out of the current situation we're in yeah i think that's a really sensible approach and you make a good point like i think because we're working from home a lot we're not going out so much like i think it's it would be really easy to get quite exhausted from looking at screens all day and i think i think you're right it is 
trying to find a way to adapt and make sure that you're not limited to just looking at a screen. I noticed that you also co-founded Unlimited Productions um, and I saw that had a tagline of urban storytelling. So can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so basically, we, it was the same. Uh, so me, myself and, and Ksenia, we it kind of like happened with thinking about art nights a little bit. Um, we wanted to um, set up the festival, but we didn't necessarily have the right uh, platform to try and do events or you know cultural events which were smaller in scale than art night or something to start so um so that's why we kind of created uh unlimited productions and the idea was to kind of like re reinvent parts of the city or venue through arts and culture so people could see it in a new light and the first event uh that we did ever was in a building in the city of London, which by then was vacant. So it had been empty for maybe like five or 10 years. And it used to be um, the headquarters of uh, the Midland Bank, which in, I think, 1914 was the biggest bank in England. And now it's been kind of completely transformed uh, as a Soho House Group Hotel. So it looked very, very different when we did the, we did an event there. And we inv invited a young uh, curator, so I think she had just graduated from university and she brought a couple of artists and we kind of like did something that completely transformed that space, which had been kind of like un unused uh, for many, many years. So that was kind of the, the idea. And it was kind of a way for us to test um, the concept of something like Art Nights. And then we did another event with Unlimited, which uh, was called The Lighthouse and it took place at Trinity Boy Wharf, which is London's only lighthouse and it was a uh, kind of like opera type um, performance and event which was part of uh, the Chitali Thames Festival and that was really interesting as well because it kind of really changed the way that kind of like lighthouse venue is and feels like with bringing in something that's quite clashing in terms of you know like opera and the music um, and um, and song, uh, so that was really quite exciting. And we did uh, other projects with it. But then at some point, kind of art night became so all-consuming uh, that we decided to kind of like focus on art night because it had a much more um, a much more obvious, um, you know, B two C presence as a brand. And then kind of like unlimited kind of fell a bit into the background, and then art night became the whole thing. So now, even if we do projects that are outside of the art night festival, we use the art night brand rather than the production company that we initially set up for um, for all of this. Yeah, I think that's that's a really smart thing to do because it's so easy to think, oh, it's good to be involved in all these different projects, but actually having a really good focus and being able to consolidate what you're doing, I think, is a really good idea. And yeah, brings it, brings it all together a bit more. So if you had to just explain what urban storytelling was, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's the idea that um, often, you know, we're, we're in, in cities and that's where, you know, 75, 80% of the world population lives. And often you're, you go about your, your life in, in cities and you don't always kind of like pay attention um, to kind of like what the city has to tell you and to see it in a different way. You know, often it's like, you know, commuting and then work. And obviously at the moment we're not commuting as much as we used to, but um, but the idea is that there are so many like stories and, and the heritage and uh, incredible, you know, architecture and venues and that um, inviting artists to 
reinvent that story uh, through arts is a great way to see a space in a different light or a different way. And that's something that, you know, Art Night is about as well, is um, thinking about a space, thinking about a context, thinking about uh, stories and telling them in another way or a different way. So I think that's something that I think is quite special and it's a really great way to just, you know, change your perspective on, you know, the city you, you live in. Mm -mm. Yeah, and that brings me on to the next question was sort of how do you, how can people tell stories through art? Or do you have any examples of, of artists you've worked with that have, have done that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think artists, uh, artists we work with do uh, things like this uh, all the time. Um, and there are many, so many different like stories of things that they have to tell. Um, one project that is really, um, really incredible one uh, is by an artist named Ms. A.D. Cha. And she did a project which was um, shown at uh, Wolfenstow Library in 2019. And it was a story around um, kind of, um, you know, heritage and stories that's passed on from like woman to woman. Uh, also a story that was uh, considering um, the natural uh, world and the changes that are happening uh, through, you know, different um, stories that were intertwined, including, uh, you know, an orca pod uh, and, uh, you know, those orcas uh, being like, you know, this very endangered species. So he was telling lots of like different stories, uh, which uh, was quite incredible and also looked, uh, looked really, really wonderful. And sometimes it's just about telling, telling stories of people that are not always uh, being heard. And one project that I also uh, really like from Art Night 2019 uh, was um, by uh, an artist uh, named Christine Sun Kim. Uh, and we wanted her to do a project for us in King's Cross. And then what we didn't realize is that in King's Cross, um, right next to you know, Central St. Martins and Granary Square, there's a school called the Frank Barnes School for Deaf Children. And um, Christine is an artist who, who works in many different ways, but she's also um, an artist uh, who uh, is uh, deaf from birth. And she actually knew the head teacher of the Frank Bard School for Deaf Children. And what she did is that she um, went to interact with the kids uh, in London. She's based in Berlin. Um, and then she kind of uh, got all of the stories from the kids, understanding, you know, what their life was about. And it ended up with a huge billboard in King's Cross, which said, if sign language was considered equal, we'd already be friends. And basically what the kids had to say is that basically what's quite challenging is that most, most people, uh, most hearing people don't, uh, are not able to communicate in sign language. And that means that those kids are not able to make friends with other kids because they can't understand each other. And something that's really, really nice is uh, that there's actually a school next to it where actually the hearing kids were being taught to be able to sign as well. So they were starting to be able to kind of talk to each other. And it's just a small thing, but it's just a great way to show how art can tell, you know, people's stories that you usually don't necessarily hear about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, that's a really great example of, of giving people a voice or a platform that might not necessarily have had it before. How do you think people might be able to apply this process of storytelling to their own businesses or brand messages? Well, I mean, I think it depends what kind of uh, business you have, but I feel like it's always really nice, I think, um, 
to be able to tell a bit of a story of how your business came about or, you know, what did you see or what did you feel was missing or what inspired you? Um, you know, for example, um, the Made by Tottenham uh, Creative Business Directory um, has uh, profiles of uh, more than 80 people now, which is brilliant, lots of creatives and creative businesses. And when you read uh, their biographies or what their business is about, uh, often um, profiles that describe uh, what they do in a way that kind of like weaves in personal stories is really makes it really, really compelling. And uh, there was one business which is called uh, Curated Wear and uh, the business owner was saying that she basically um, sources uh, and sells uh, homeware goods which are inspired by the 70s and the 80s and she said that she was particularly inspired by her uh, Caribbean grandparents home in Tottenham and the kind of like 70s, 80s home decor that you could find at the time. And the fact that she just weaved in that kind of like personal story makes it like really, really compelling. And I think that works for any business. I think when you, when you run a business, there must be something that makes it special for you or give, give you the idea. And I think sometimes people just don't say or don't tell it or just don't let other people know or maybe think, oh, it's actually it's too personal. I shouldn't talk about it. But actually people love to know some personal facts or some elements of storytelling. And if it's not necessarily something personal, it could be something that you know something that inspired you in arts or in culture in so many different ways and i think it's always really amazing to think about telling that story yeah i think that's a really good point so it's about like finding it something personal or like human that people can identify with and and connect with and i think that's so important and you know for instance it's a little bit different but when i started my magazine discovering tottenham i was kind of originally i was very much about putting that the brand there and having it as the platform and then not really connecting it to myself and, and my personal journey. But actually when I started putting myself out there and, you know, representing myself as, you know, running the publication, but I was myself as well. I think I really, I definitely found that people would, would um, respond to that very differently. And I think that's, that's such a, yeah, it's such a nice point to make is yeah. Always think about, don't worry, even if it feels too personal, like, sometimes that thing might just be what other people can connect with and, and want to engage with your brand. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's very, very true. Um, I think, yeah, I think people like to, to know, you know, who's behind the brand, what's the story. I think it always makes something a bit more compelling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the moment when there's so many brands that look very similar and are all trying to do the same thing. It's about finding that uniqueness, um, and, and pulling that out of it as well, I think. Yeah, completely. You also do a lot of work in the community as well, um, specifically Tottenham through the Creative Enterprise Zone program. So how do you find that the pandemic has had an impact on that role and the way that you work? What I do uh, has a lot to do with um, trying to support people who work in the creative sector uh, in Tottenham and obviously because I run an arts organization and I also live in Tottenham uh, I kind of like yeah understand what a lot of people are going through uh, at the moment and it's um, it's been quite challenging obviously especially in the very uh, early stages of lockdown um, we actually run a um, a survey uh, to local creative businesses to see you know how they were doing and the results were, um, 
you know, quite, um, quite hard, obviously. Um, and it is pretty much in line with uh, the findings uh, across London of how uh, the creative sector has been impacted by the pandemic. But I think it was around 50% of people who had lost at least, you know, half of their income due to the pandemic. Because obviously, suddenly, you know, um, gigs or you know things and commissions and projects who were which were booked had been all cancelled lots of places had to close down um obviously one of our um largest arts organizations in, in tottenham that you're obviously very familiar with the bernie grant art center which is an amazing uh amazing um art center has been closed since march and i think that was the same thing with larger organizations like south bank center just not being able to reopen at all uh since the very first lockdown so would uh, have would be closed for a whole year so seeing these things and like all the different things that usually happen in in those venues is, is quite challenging I've also heard of um, you know creatives locally that had just started to set up a new business so obviously when you're just you're, when you're just starting um, again you is very likely you won't be able to uh, be eligible for some of the grants or for the self-employed schemes so I, I, I was speaking to um, a, a woman who just had to you know close her brand brand new business because she had only started and just like a pandemic happens and then you can't you can't trade you can't have anyone in um, and I think even moved uh, away from the area back with uh, her family or something. So it's a very, very common thing. But at the same time, I feel like it's great to see that um, locally in Tottenham, lots of people have um, been super resilient, have been able to pivot to uh, doing more stuff online. Um, I've seen, you know, like some, um, you know, chefs that have started to kind of like operate uh, um, take takeaway um, businesses from you know where they live, doing amazing food. Um, artists who've been uh, selling their work online or taking part in like amazing initiatives, like the Artist Support Pledge. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, where basically um, I think like it became a worldwide phenomenon, and I think there was something like you know uh, maybe forty million worth of artwork that have exchanged hands. And basically the, the concept of the artist support pledge is that um, you're an artist and once you've managed to sell five works around the 200 pound mark, then you make the commitment to buy a work worth 200 pounds roughly to another artist. So then you, you kind of like sell your work and then you buy from other artists and it just becomes like it just snowballs and becomes like a really big thing. And I know lots of artists locally have taken part in this. Cool. Yeah, I think um, it's so easy to get bogged down in like all the negative sides of the pandemic and a lot of things closing and things like that. But um, you make a really good point that there are still people um, succeeding. And that's something that I think is really important to remember that there are still businesses that are making the best of it and have had opportunities and, and have had ma managed to make the best of the situation. And for instance, we've, been, we've worked on the brilliant, it's been so nice to be part of a positive project like made by Tottenham. Just generally, I feel like there's been quite a, quite a few places that have managed to open uh, during the pandemic and have been doing really well. Um, there's this place, um, this kind of like uh, healthy uh, Afro-Caribbean food shop in uh, Tottenham near Bruce Grove called Cinnamon Leaf that have, I remember they opened maybe in March or April, I mean, like really in peak lockdown time. And I remember going there and it's just such an amazing, such an amazing shop. And there's been so many other places that have opened locally and have been doing actually really well. 
And it's really brave actually to still go with your business and go with your project considering everything. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how there actually have still been new businesses opening and there's been you know, new coffee shops, um, as you say, like the, the inside shopping center. And I think because people are less likely to travel, they are looking for more things to do on a local level and like support local business. I think that's, that's a nice thing that's happened. Yeah, it's um, such a nice thing. And just to add, um, it it's, reminds me of this kind of... Um, quite interesting concept of the 15 uh, minute city or the 20 minute city or the idea that um, in our kind of like quite you know large cities and in thinking about you know air pollution and air quality and uh, really crammed uh, public transport that it's really important for healthy neighborhoods to have everything that you need in terms of you know shopping and retail and culture and you know independent shops that is within like 15 minutes of where you are uh, obviously like parks and open spaces so I think it's a really uh, it's a really interesting concept I don't want to like dwell on it too much but obviously um so easy in the midst of the pandemic and then also you know with struggling businesses and things to forget that we've got Brexit on the 31st of December when I moved to the UK it was in 2014 um and it was a really different different world and obviously uh 2016 and the referendum happened and everything else and all of the many many uh, you know years of drama around brexit so since the referendum um unfortunately i, I know so many people who've just left uh, the uk and it's not just people who are uh, like me eu citizens but also um Lots of British people who are maybe in a relationship with the EU citizen who have decided, oh, well, if we have to choose between your country, part of the EU, or the UK, part of nothing, just the UK, well, then let's maybe move to continental Europe. And lots of people wow. have done that. So it's a bit of a shame, for sure. Um, it still makes me a bit angry, but it's not much that we can do now. 2016 and the referendum, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and checking the stats and it was about half past three in the morning and I realized that the leave side was winning and it was such a shock that like yeah, you know, it was really hard to get back to sleep after that because like, everyone was kind of convinced it would go the other way I think especially living in London um so yeah it's a bit of it's a really odd time and you make a really good point like we've actually lost a lot of talented people to, to this as well because people are like well why will I set up my business here and stick around if, if I could go somewhere else and and still be part of the EU. Um, and I always think of it in terms of like, we lose a lot of European funding for creative industries and things like that, but there's so much more to it than that. Um, so yeah, that leads me on to my next point. So you, you're a lecturer um, in culture and global studies. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Cause I think it, it sounds like it would be quite relevant to this topic. Yeah, so I, uh, I teach a class at university um, uh, in Sciences Po in Paris, uh, which is also where, where I studied, and um, it's called Culture and, uh, in Global Cities. So it's thinking about the importance of uh, culture, uh, you know, in, in cities uh, across the world and how it helps, you know, um, make them more attractive, make them more resilient, uh, build stronger communities. Often culture is seen as a uh, nice to have or just something that you add like the cherry on top or something that's just a bit uh, optional in a way but actually it's really not uh, the case at all and that can be argued for any city uh, around the world but if we talk about London specifically 
I think there's something like, you know, um, 85% of people who, like tourists who visit London, visit London because of culture. So that's mm. the main draw. So uh, the economic impact uh, of culture on a city like London is really, really huge. Um, at the scale of like neighborhoods, or even when you think about, you know, places uh, like Tottenham, uh, culture in a very broad sense, and that includes, you know, um, can, in can include, uh, you know, food and music and so many different things that have to do with culture, but it really helps kind of, you know, bringing people together, uh, have like a, a common or shared kind of like sense of belonging. Uh, it's a great way to also have, you know, like creativity has also really positive impact on people's uh, you know, mental health and well-being and, you know, confidence. So it, it's so important on so many levels. And this class has really, um, it's been really fun to teach there. Because um, I, I, I used to be a student there and now, like, many years later, uh, it's quite nice to be back. The word culture comes up a lot and obviously arts and culture. But just to really, really simplify it, what is culture and how does that affect the city? Well, I mean, I think culture has lots of different definitions. Um, some definitions can be a bit uh, more kind of like narrow. Um, and sometimes people think about culture as more you know, like more fine arts or more high arts or thinking about, you know, um, visual arts and dance and opera. But obviously culture is it's kind of like much broader than that. I think culture and creativity kind of like goes together and what represents like the culture of a place or of you know a community um that's why you know some, sometimes people argue that you know culture is just like really this art thing but i think it's much broader than that in terms of you know um thinking about uh thinking about food uh thinking about i don't know like textiles it could be so many different things and um so half of my family are uh, i mean obviously everyone's been um living in France for, or born in France for like really long time. Uh, but both my grandparents were born in Vietnam. And when I think about, you know, culture and Vietnamese culture, I think the first thing, and it's just because it's so important, it was so important growing up, I guess food was such a big part of what makes the culture. And obviously it can also be, you know, like heritage, it can be architecture, it can be you know, obviously fashion and textile and the way people dress. It could be, you know, all the creativity behind can be, you know, like a ceramics or making, or obviously it can be more, you know, traditional arts, but it's a very, very broad, very, very broad thing. And I think it's like this little spark that makes life um, exciting. Oh, that's really, yeah, that's a really nice description. And I'm so glad you mentioned Vietnam as well. I've actually visited and traveled all through and it's, yeah, it's a really amazing place. And yeah, uh, it is. like, it's, I was trying not to mention the food, but yeah, that's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think it's the main thing that, yeah, I, um, I was born and I grew up in France, but I um, was lucky enough when I was a teenager with my family, we lived in Thailand uh, for three years. I mean, for three years, me and my parents stayed for a little while longer. And so it was the first time for me and even for my dad, because both his parents are, are, uh, f uh, were born in Vietnam. First time for all of us to set foot in Southeast Asia and with the amazing opportunity to live in Thailand, it was just very easy to visit and spend time in Vietnam because it's just like, you know, two hours away. So I've been, I think, two or three times. And yeah, it's been really, really incredible. And yeah, the food is probably the... I mean, and to be honest, everywhere I travel, the food is the most important thing. So, uh, but I, I know it's the case for many people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I traveled around Asia for three months in 2009. And yeah, I think I had one bad meal 
there's no yeah yeah <laughs> obviously nice like it's so delicious Thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode of Hazel Talks. Um, And big thanks to Philippine for being my second guest. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I actually, whilst editing it, I came up with some, some new ideas for my own business and projects. Thank you again for tuning in and I really hope to see you back here again for episode three. You can find out more about my work at hazelbrowncreative.com.